Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Living free of offense. How many of you would like to live unoffendable? I don't know how many syllables that is, but how many of you would love, how many of you would love to live in a world where nobody ever offends you? Like, can we just get rid of all the offensive people? I got news for you. Probably not going to happen. But imagine if you lived unoffendable, that no matter what somebody does to me, no matter what somebody says about me, it doesn't stick. It just doesn't stick. I can tell you, as a pastor, this will shock you. Not everybody loves me. And I've had to learn to be okay with that. I've had to learn to walk out of appointments sometimes and just go, in Jesus' name, let me just, in the Spirit, let me get all that off of me. Thank you, Jesus. You can live unoffendable. You really can. And I actually want to share some stuff that's going to hopefully kind of help you with that. But I want to share a scripture with you from Luke chapter 21. And I literally just woke up this morning with it, and God was like, this is for this morning. So I'm going to figure out how to work it into here, but here we go. Luke chapter 21, and I'm reading for verse 10. We've got it on the screens uh, if you didn't bring your Bible this morning. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, because it's in red. Well, mine's in red. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. If you notice, it's become a very polarized world. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events. People will be scared to go into Dollar Tree to get what they need, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you'll be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. So they hand you over to synagogues. What were synagogues? The place where people used to meet with God, but maybe His Spirit was no longer there. They'll bring you before kings. They'll bring you before governors, all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. And I believe that what Jesus is saying to His disciples is true for us today. Through whatever is happening, if you proclaim the name of Jesus, if you proclaim that Jesus is a healer, if you tell people, if you are sick, we will pray for you, and they'll go, what an insensitive thing. They don't need prayer. They need this, 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 and this. But Jesus heals. No, Jesus doesn't heal. Medicine does. And when you stand up and say, we're going to believe for people to be healed, you're going to be brought before synagogues. You're going to be brought before kings, and you're going to be brought before governors. That's spiritual leadership. That's governmental leadership, and it's local leadership. You're going to be brought to them. And trust me, if you go in there ready for a fight, you're going to miss the instructions of Jesus. Because that's not why you're there. Do you know that when Paul got arrested for causing a stir, it was actually false rumors started about Paul. He went before this 
governor, a regional leader by the name of Festus. And Festus wanted to try Paul so bad. He's like, this guy is of notoriety, and I can make a name of myself for myself if I try this guy, Paul. But that wasn't Paul's intention. Paul goes before Festus, and do you know what he did? Paul was a Roman citizen born in Tarsus. He said, I won't be tried by you. I'm appealing to Caesar. Because he was a Roman citizen, he could go to Caesar directly. Do you know what that meant? It meant he was going to have to sit in prison for years. Could you, could you imagine the waiting list? Caesar, literally Caesar, not a proconsul, not somebody who was delegated to, Caesar himself. How long would that list be? Imagine if you got convicted of a crime and you got to appeal directly to the president. Do you know how long that line would be? But that's what you could do as a Roman citizen. And so he was under house arrest for years. But do you know why he appealed to Caesar? He didn't appeal to Caesar so he could get out of it. He didn't appeal to Caesar because hopefully somehow I can get out of my present condition where I am being oppressed. He appealed to Caesar because Paul's thought was, if Caesar gets saved, if Caesar, I get to preach the gospel to Caesar? Are you kidding me? He had seen Agrippa. He had seen Festus. And now he's like, I get to go to Caesar. And the only cost is three years of house arrest. Sign me up. If Caesar gets saved, what's going to happen to our world? But if I think my reason to go to Caesar is tell him all the wrong things that have happened to me and get Caesar to change policies... I'll miss that I'm there to bear testimony. Caesar, I'm glad I get to stand before you today. I know I'm here because they said I caused a riot in Ephesus. But I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I was the killer of Christians. I was the worst of them all. And I encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus where I was going to go persecute more Christians. And I got saved. And not only did I get saved, but I go to this guy's house because I got blinded by the light. And he touched me. And I was healed of my blindness. And even better than that, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And now instead of killing Christians, I get a chance to preach the gospel to them. Caesar, if you, if you could know this Jesus like I do, he'll change your life. I know you're in a position of power. And I know everybody looks to you and thinks you have all the answers, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You don't have answers for anybody, but you've got to put up a face like you do. And Caesar, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would know the Jesus that I know. We don't know the end of the story of what happened to Paul. But some of you are going to be called to synagogues and kings and governors. And my prayer for you is you don't forget why. It's to bear witness. The next verse, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you would defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict you will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers and sisters, 
relatives and friends. And they'll put some of you to death. Here's the most encouraging scripture you'll ever read. Everyone will hate you because of me. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for the Bless Me Club. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. I know there's people here who have been betrayed by parents and brothers and sisters and rejected for the choices that you've made in life. Choices that you know that God called you to make but weren't popular at Thanksgiving dinner. They weren't popular in your workplace. And you've been betrayed. You've been left behind. And it leaves you feeling like, am I the only one? This encouragement from Jesus is for you. That not one hair of your head will perish. Stand firm. And you will win life. If you're wondering what my end times eschatology is, this is it. I think there's a lot of people that might be waiting for a tribulation that are going to be pretty disappointed. Sorry, waiting for a rapture that are going to be pretty disappointed. Jesus is painting a picture of a victorious church going through tribulation till the end. Not a church that's waiting to get raptured so that everybody else can receive the punishment. Some would say that much of this stuff has already happened. Some would say that in A.D. 70, when Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, this was the beginning of what Jesus was talking about. Others will say maybe this is in the future. By the way, if you have a different eschatology, there's room in the kingdom for you. You may be hoping for a rapture. You may have been disillusioned by left behind like millions of others were. Good entertainment, bad theology. I'll move on. We're not doing eschatology today. (laughs) My point is, Jesus is painting a picture of a victorious church going through difficult times. Just because you're persecuted doesn't mean you can't have victory. And just because just because the way that I believe is unpopular or just because the government or my family or my friends or my workplace don't recognize my freedom doesn't mean but I don't have the power of God flowing through me. What if a church What if a church spent less time protesting against COVID policies and more time praying for COVID patients? What if we saw the dead raised that died in isolation in an ICU room? Only being able to look at masks. What if we saw them raised from the dead cuz Christians would stand up And say, I might be persecuted, but the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead flows through me. What if we were the ones who were no longer afraid? We're called to bear witness. If God's called you to protest that stuff, protest with all your might. If God's called you to go a different direction, do whatever it is that He told you to do. I'm not up here to tell you what God's telling you to do. I'm telling you you can hear from Him yourself. And when you hear, obey. When you hear, obey. When you hear, obey. 
We're meant to be a victorious church. But how does a victorious church respond to a world of haters? If the world's going to hate us, how do we respond to that? That's what I want to share with you a little bit this morning. You know, cancer culture, in our society, offense is almost like a weapon. If I'm offended, I can use that as a weapon against you. And simply my offense towards your behavior, your thinking, your theology, your beliefs. Some of you got offended because I said there's not going to be a rapture. I know that. It's okay. But we can use that offense as a weapon. I just want you to know I'm offended by what you did. And suddenly I'm supposed to somehow change everything about my life. Somehow the world feels like they have a right to be offended. I actually think that's transitioned a little bit. Not just a right to be offended, it's like they have an obligation to be offended. If you're not offended, what's wrong with you? I'm like, why don't you take up the same offense that I take up? And I'm like, because I don't want to live in slavery. A Christian can't live like this. When I look at the cross, and I think of Jesus on the cross. I see his sacrifice and I see his blood, but I see my sins on his body. And I think I have no right to be offended at anything man's done to me. Look at what my sin did to him. But yet the blood that flows washed by sin. And His Spirit filled me. And so I can't live like that. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. I see so many people walking around bitter and ineffective because of past hurts. Bitter and ineffective. I had... Recently happened to me, I, I think I posted a long thing, really just thanking Romy, and you know, I had COVID for about four weeks and really knocked me off my feet for quite a while and went through some pretty dark times, but got healed and recovered, and so at the end of it, I was just saying, praise God, and I'm praying for those who have it, and most people were like, glad you made it, and then I had one family member that called me selfish for I think you can guess why, and just started to blast me on social media. And this was like 12 o'clock at night, and I'm looking at it going, I know how I want to respond. You know, maybe, hey, glad you're alive would have been a better start. And I'm reading it, and I, I felt something else well up inside me. And I'll get to that in a minute. I went and got my uh, haircut recently. Thank you. And because uh, Caitlin, my normal hairdresser, she's hard to book, so I had to go. It's sports clips. That's it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you can check in online and be there in 20 minutes and get your haircut. They're like, how do you like it? I was like, I don't know. Whatever that note says, that's, that's what I'm doing. So, um, But she sat there, and she, she asked, what do you do? And I said, I'm a motivational speaker. I didn't say that. <laughs> That's what pastors tell the people they're sitting next to on an airplane so they don't end up in a counseling session. I'm like, come on, guys. 
And my wife is like in the gate area going, who can I tell Jesus about on this airplane? I can't wait. Anyway, I told her I'm a pastor, and she started telling me some story about her own church experiences. She said, you know, I got, I got COVID pretty bad. And nobody from my cell group contacted me. They all knew I was sick. And they didn't do anything. And so I finally was like, huh. And she's, she lives on her own. And she said, I finally recovered on my own. She had it pretty bad. And, uh, you know, got the two negative tests, waited the 10 days, and went back to her church. And the moment she walked in the door in the middle of worship, the usher slash security team said, you have to go. You've had COVID. Not how are you doing? Are you recovered? How's everything going? But, like, picked her up and made her leave. And she's telling me a story. She goes, I'm never going back there again. Now, as a pastor, I go, man, that's an usher that probably just didn't know. <laughs> like, I get it. I, my, my heart beats for pastors, too, that they're all trying to figure out how to do this stuff. And there's mistakes that are made left and right. And yet Romy tries to remind me that maybe it's not as innocent as you make it out to be. But my heart was breaking for this, this girl And it's not that I was mad at the church for their response. She had taken up an offense. And I could hear it in her heart. She was hurt and and probably should have been. But she had let the hurt become an offense. And that offense was now keeping her from the very place that she really needed. And having not been able to deal with the offense, she had been isolating herself for the last couple of months. And I went, isn't it funny how we can be wronged and what happened to her was wrong, right? By the way, if you have COVID or if you're sick or if you broke your leg, tell us. Because we operate in words of knowledge, but we don't want to just hope that we get words of knowledge. Like, let us know. Call us. We have a church number you can call. Contact somebody. We will come pray for you. If you need meals, we'll try to arrange meals for you. We want to help. Don't, don't think if I am home, and if you're having a hard time, if you're just depressed, if you're, tell us. We're here to help, okay? And when I say we're here to help, guess what? We're here to help, right? Not if Clayton doesn't come visit me and pray for me. I don't want anybody else to come, all right? But it's funny how a wrong can turn into an offense. So how do you stop that from happening? How do you go from the hurt? Like, that was wrong, and I'm hurt. That's okay. But how do you let the hurt, how do you keep it from becoming an offense that's now created something worse in you than what they did to you? We'll talk about that in a minute. Why should we overlook an offense? You know the thing about this offense is when, when something's wrong done to you, you're like, it, I should feel this way. You're just, I, it was wrong and I'm upset. And, and it actually makes you feel a little bit good. Jai asked me the other night, they had an expression in a movie, this the person had a chip on his shoulder. He goes, what's a chip on your shoulder? I was like, oh, that's when somebody says something about you and it gets you riled up, you know. And... Uh, so it just, you always got this chip on your shoulder, and it's got this beef against somebody. I actually heard that uh, Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player, he used to tell this story about David Robinson, who was uh, the center from San Antonio, like Hall of Famer, and, but yet he was older than him. And he said, every time I played David Robinson, I wanted to kick his butt because when I was a little kid, I tried to get an autograph of David Robinson, and he refused an autograph for me. 
So I played my whole life wanting to destroy David Robinson because he refused the autograph. Do you know he came out this year and said, I made that whole story up? He's like, yeah, I just said that so that I could have a beef against him. And, and I'm like, but you ruined this guy's reputation after all those years. Like he, David Robinson is known as like the nicest guy ever to play in the NBA. And now he's just bagged him just so he could have an offense because he had to have an offense to go to war, to go. And I'm like, yeah, but that ate you up. That didn't eat David Robinson up. It's funny how we can get a chip on our shoulder. Why should we overlook an offense? Number one, because you're free. You're free! Yes! Thanks for the amen, G. John chapter 836 says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You know what free indeed means? It means you're free to make a choice. You can choose to go back to your life of sin, or you can choose to live a life of righteousness. Freedom means choice. And when you're free, when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, you can use that freedom for good, or you can use it for bad. You're free. You are free to take offense, but you are also free to not take offense. I don't have to respond the way that everyone else responds. I don't have to respond according to the way my flesh wants to respond. But I can respond according to the spirit that's at work within me. And my response can be very, very different. The truth is that I realize that my life is the offense that I take is just a manifestation of my pride. How dare he offend me? You know that low self-esteem is a manifestation of pride, right? If you have low self-esteem, it's pride. Why? Because the focus is still you. I don't like the way I am. There's a lot of eyes in there. Learn to love others, learn to love God, and learn to love others. The two greatest commandments. And it's funny how the self-esteem thing goes away. A person without pride cannot be offended. Do you know why? Because if, if, if somebody does something to offend me, and my pride gets ruffled, like, who the heck does he think he is? Right? But if I've learned to let God have that pride, that when somebody does something offensive to me, I don't have to push down the pride and go, I forgive him in the name of Jesus. He's wrong. He's an idiot. He's a jerk. God, deal with him. Send your wrath and your judgment. Maybe a little bit of kindness, but more wrath and judgment. And I'm going to stand. You know, here's, okay, here's a better way we phrase that. Do you want to hear another way we phrase that? Because this sounds way holier than I just said. Here's how we phrase this. I'm just going to take the high road. What they did was wrong, but I'm going to take the high road. You know what the problem with the high road is? It looks down and assumes that they're on the low road. And God goes, no, that's your brother. I'm just going to take the high road. All you're doing is subliminally telling everybody else that you're right and they were wrong. But you know what love does? The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. 
That means that when my brother offends me, it's not my pride that calls the shots. When my brother offends me, I love you. And it covers over a multitude. Not, I'm taking the high road. But you can't offend me because I love you. It's not possible. We've had moments in our marriage where we've had disagreements. And I've tried to apologize. I said, I'm sorry if I've offended you in any way. And she says the same thing every time. She goes, you can't offend me. I'm not offended. I love you. And then I'm trying to find the words. Well, I'm sorry if what, I, you know what I mean? But she's right. People can't offend you if you love them. Jesus said, love your, love your friends. Love your enemies. He said, love your neighbor. You got it right. This wasn't a quiz. Jesus said, love your enemies. And for those who persecute you, you're supposed to pray for them. Not pray at them. Remove them from office in Jesus' name. Jesus, would you, I don't know that I can get an audience with that person. So would you appear to them in a dream? I hear these stories of the Muslim world where the man in white keeps appearing to Muslims. Why? Because Christians have no ability to tell people about Jesus. They'll be killed. But yet Jesus is appearing as a man in white in dreams. And so when everything else in the world says, you can't do this and you're going to be killed, you can just come right next to him and go, hey, can I ask you a question? <laughs> have you seen the man in white? And they're like, did I what? Have you seen the man in white? And they're like, yes, how did you know that? His name is Jesus, and he loves you, and he wants to save you. What if the man in white appears in the Capitol building? What if he appears in the General Assembly? What if he appears in the White House? What if he appears in palaces of kings? It's not going to happen if I'm praying at people. Pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Love will change the world, my friend. You can't offend me if I love you. There's another hard one. You ready for this? Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, 24. I think we'll end on this one. I'm going to have to do this one again. I've got more to go. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and make your friend apologize to you for what you did wrong and publicly declare that they are wrong and therefore take the high road so that everybody else knows that they were wrong and you were right and you live above reproach. Man, sometimes I wish it said that. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. In God's kingdom, it's the responsibility of the offended to reconcile. That's a hard one. Do you know why? I've noticed that the offender usually doesn't have any idea 
that they've offended. Sometimes they do. But it's the responsibility of the offended to reconcile. When I've t- There's a difference between being hurt and being offended. I do want to make sure you understand the difference. I'm not saying don't ever get hurt. Because Jesus is saying you will be hurt. But don't get offended. He told his own cousin, John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet to have ever lived, who prophesied that Jesus would come. And when he said he came, he said, that's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. But John ends up in prison because he just had a a rough moment. So he sends his disciples to say, I just want to make sure you're the man, you're the Messiah. And he says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. There's all kinds of different conjectures as to why John the Baptist was potentially offended. But it's the responsibility of the offended to go and reconcile. Now that reconciliation may may be between you and God, not necessarily between you and the person. For some of you, the offense that you have picked up because of what was done to you, that person is now dead. And you can't go and reconcile to them, but I can tell you right now, you can be reconciled back to God. And in your heart, you can say, Lord, though what was done was wrong, I forgive. I forgive. The way that you love your enemies, do you know how you love your enemies? Because I promise you it's not a decision of my flesh to love my enemies. My flesh doesn't. It's because I have been able to receive the love of my Father. (laughs) Jesus, if you can be nailed on the cross, I might as well have been the one holding the hammer. If you can be nailed to the cross because of my sin, And look down at me and say, Father, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. Lord, would you help me to see those who have offended me like that? Jesus could have gone, you're going to have to get that one. He said, God, forgive him. I want you to know the love that the Father has poured out on me. And because of this sacrifice that I'm making today, you can now receive that love. Because all of this is for you. It's not just because of you, but it's for you. The way that you love your enemies is you experience the love of the Father for you. I don't have it in me to love my enemies, but through Christ in me, I have everything that I need. Amen? Amen. I don't know where to wrap this up when I'm in the middle of it. So um, I want to pray for you. Lord, help us. Help us. Help us. 
Help us to catch your heart. That wants to see a Saul become a Paul. More than what we want to see a Saul destroyed. Your heart for Saul was not to destroy him. You looked at him and you saw an apostle. You saw your tool to reach the Gentiles. That's us. There's two people in the Bible that Jesus had so much right to be offended by. Peter denied Jesus three times. When he needed him the most, he was abandoned. Just like Jesus said what happened to us. And yet because Jesus loved Peter, he was able to bridge the gap between the offense and the reconciliation. And he brought Peter back in because he loved him. And the other was Saul. We already talked about Saul. God didn't look at Saul and see a persecutor. He looked at Paul and saw an apostle. It was Peter who later got a vision that the gospel was not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. It was the apostle Paul later that became the apostle and the evangelist to the Gentiles. That's us. That's you and me. Had Jesus not overlooked an offense and bridged the gap between the offense and the reconciliation, the gospel may never have gotten to us. So, Lord, I'm praying that we would see synagogues, kings, and governors as apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, that those places that once held your spirit, but have caved into the spirit of this world, would have the Ruach breath breathed back into them, Lord God. That just like Elijah saw, bones come together and skin come upon, become on bone and on flesh and, and muscles grow back and you breathe life into it. Breathe life into your church. Breathe boldness into your church. Courage into your church. Let us be places of healing. Places of deliverance. Places of salvation that we would not run from the sick. We would not run from the oppression. But we are a victorious church going through tribulation until the end. There is no stopping point. I'm not getting off the bus. God, let us persevere till the end because your spirit in us and your love for us flows like living water coming from us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you gave us the power to not take offense, but to take our hurts to you so that we can be healed and made whole. I pray that we come and learn to sit on your lap like the little kids did. Not worried about the offensive disciples who were pushing them off to the side. They just went, I don't care. I don't care if I get kicked. I don't care if I get bumped. I don't care if I get yelled at. I am sitting on Jesus' lap because I know He wants to bless me. So let us push through all of this stuff and stay close to You, Lord. Pray for boldness in Your people. Breathe Your breath of life into us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 He's good. Thank you for joining us today. 
For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.